Thank you for the beautiful prelude as we start off our morning service. We at First Church would like to welcome you, whether you are here in person, listening on the radio, or watching on Facebook. We are blessed that you are part of our service and hope that our music and singing is uplifting, our Bible study is revealing, and our prayers impactful. We also hope that God's love and presence is felt, fills you up so that you're able to pass God's love on to the others that you touch this coming week. This is the second week of Advent, which is peace. As we prepare for the coming of our Lord on Christmas for this week of Advent, we are to seek Him and receive the peace that He wants us to have. There's a lot happening here at First Church. Please look over the bulletin for items that may be of interest to you. A few items to note. We're excited to have the choir back today at the direction of our new choir director, Miss Holly Smith. Welcome, Holly, to First Church. The Sunday School Teachers Christmas Party has been scheduled, that was scheduled for tomorrow, uh, Monday, December 7th, has been canceled. The children's program is next Sunday and is incorporated into the morning worship. There will be no Sunday school or confirmation next Sunday. We invite you to take a tag off the giving tree in the Heritage Room. This year, the, the, uh, the tree supports Elizabeth New Life Center in Sydney. And now if you would rise for the call to worship. It is taken from Isaiah 49. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me like a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. And I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand. And my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Israel and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to keep him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of the rulers. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Now we'll have our opening hymn, 124, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus.
may be seated. At this time, as we invite the children forward for children's chat with Miss Nikki, we also want to invite the choir forward as well, as they'll be pray- they'll be singing a song when children's chat is done. Over here, kiddos, come on over here, kiddos, kiddos, come on over here. <laughs> Hold this for me, Reagan. <laughs> Thank you, kiddos. Grab an edge of my towel. Grab an edge. Thank you. Grab an edge. Stretch it out real big. Thank you. You coming? Grab an edge. Grab an edge. You find a spot? You grabbing an edge? You coming? Come on and grab an edge. We're going to do some pretending this morning. You grab an edge? Sure. Anywhere you can fit. There you go. Can we make a little more room? Come on over here. Oh, perfect. Thank you. I know that's a funny-looking towel, isn't it? But we're going to do a little pretending today. We're going to pretend that this is our feelings. Right now, it's pretty chill, right? It's kind of awesome. My feelings are kind of awesome. Yeah. But what if we start adding a little bit of stress? Ooh. It's not very peaceful at all, is it? No, not at all. Yeesh. Man, I'm not feeling so good. Are you feeling pretty good? Ah! Man, you know what? I need to add some some faith. Oh, that's a little better. Um, I think I need to add some hope. Oh, man, is it getting harder to shake that up? Oh, don't throw them on the floor. Don't throw them on the floor. <sighs> need to add a whole lot of love and a whole lot of Jesus. Oh, is that pretty hard? Gentle, gentle, gentle. Ah, oh, we don't want to throw them on the floor. Oh, is that getting harder to do? Sort of? Good. Go ahead and lay my towel down. Thanks. Oh, I know I do, too. You guys have played parachute at school before. Go ahead and lay it down on the floor. Are you ready? There you go. Thank you. This is the second week of Advent, and the second week is about peace. And when we have a lot of big feelings that are really hard to understand, sometimes we don't feel very peaceful. And that's like really, really shaking, 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 shaking. That's a lot. But when we add some faith, and we add some hope, and we add some love, and we add a whole lot of Jesus then it starts making it a little bit harder to have those really, really, really out of control feelings because God brings us peace, and that's what's important. Would you pray with me? All right. Lord, please help us to learn your peace. Please help us to learn how to trust in you always. Keep us safe, keep us healthy, and teach us more to be like you. Amen. Thank you, guys. Amen. Thank you, Nikki. Thanks, kids. Nikki, I think you might have underestimated the power those kids could put into that blanket there. (laughs) I thought there were going to be some Bibles flying for a second there. It all worked out, though. It was all good. There you go. All right. Well, this time we're excited to have the choir back with us this morning. It's been a long time coming, um, and we're so glad to have them. Um, it's a little bit of a smaller group, as you can see, but there's some members that were not able to participate. Um, but just as we've talked about all along with, with church on Sunday morning during this pandemic, um, you know, everything is, is, is optional in a sense. And so we're glad that those that are participating are willing to do so. And for those of you who are normally part of the choir and weren't ready to come back, we look forward to when you're able to join us again. But at this time, looking forward to hearing Christmas peace.
you. This time I want to invite forward Court and Jenny Flutterjohn and their family for the lighting of our Advent wreath this morning. We gather around the Advent wreath today knowing that we are not perfect, that we all make mistakes and do bad things. Only Jesus obeyed God fully. Jesus helps us to live as God wants us to live. The first Advent reading is from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees in his, with his eyes or decide but what he hears with his ears. But the righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy. On all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We light this candle to proclaim the coming of the light of God into the world. With the coming of this light, there is peace. For for Christ is called the Prince of Peace. Christ's name is also Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus gives us peace. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he was reconciled by you, Christ's physical body, through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Let us pray. Eternal God, we thank you that through all the years you have given peace to your people. Help us to have peace in our lives. In this Advent season, we pray that you will help us shine the light of your presence to those around us so they may also have peace. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So we've prepared our hearts to go to the Lord in prayer this, this morning. I want to invite you to once again look at your prayers and concerns list printed in your bulletin. Uh, again, we pray especially for those that are struggling with COVID right now, as well as our, our people that are working in our healthcare industry and, and doctors and nurses and all the support staff that's involved there. I want to pray especially for those that, are, uh, that God would protect them and help them to stay well and healthy. Our today's offering is going to support the general fund. If you're able to give to that, uh, there are offering plates at the door on your way out of here this morning. If you are not here with us physically, if you're listening on the radio or watching on Facebook, or if you are here and would like to give online, you're able to do that through our website, firstchurchnk.org. One more note, uh, I want to add to something I said last week. We talked last week about the beautiful decorations here in the church, and once again, it looks wonderful. Um, the, the people that decorated this year did a wonderful job making it look festive for the Christmas season, uh, but I left a few names off, and so I want to make sure they get credit for helping decorate it as well. Um, so thank you also, in addition to um, John and Deb Catter-Henry and Adam and Shelby Warbaugh, um, Erica Bashong, Lori Foster, and her daughter Maddie, as well as Brad Hoagie also helped decorate the church last uh, in preparation for the start of Advent last week. So thank you to everyone who is involved in making that happen. The sanctuary does and continues to look beautiful. So uh, as we continue on in our service this morning, I invite you to stand and join us as we sing our next praise song, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery.
Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture reading today is from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. If you have your Bibles with you today, I encourage you to open them up with us or, and follow along. If you don't have a Bible on hand, you can follow along in our bulletin as well. Again, that's Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Come on up. I, I'm sorry. I looked over there and didn't see you. You're behind the pole. <laughs> well, that's why, because I'm doing things out of order, aren't I? I apologize. It's, it's always you, and I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you take a rest there? I'll pray like I'm supposed to do if I looked at the bulletin correctly. I even looked around. I thought, I don't see her, but you're behind the pole over there in the Heritage Room. My apologies. All right. Well, let's pray together, shall we? Oh, Lord God, uh, we thank you that, um, that you are good and that you are in control uh, and that you are here in this place. And Lord, your presence is felt in our worship, in our, um, in our fellowship, and even in our laughter and our mistakes, Lord. Um, you are good, and we thank you for that. I pray now, Lord, that you would be with us as we go about our weeks. Lord, uh, encourage us to live for you each and every day. Lord, help us to experience your peace like none other. Help us to know what it means to to be reconciled to you through your son, Jesus Christ, and be able to share and experience that peace with others in our lives. Lord, as we, as we lift up our praises or prayers and concerns to you this morning, Lord, we ask that you be with each name and family that's represented in our bulletin, as well as the many other burdens, Lord, that we carry in with us that aren't listed there. Lord, we all carry something. We are all uh, we all are experiencing the burdens and the, the hardships of life in one way, shape, or form. And so we ask that you would, you would guide us and provide for us in those situations. And Lord, help us to experience your peace, not, not escape from our circumstances, but peace in the middle of our circumstances. We pray especially, Lord, for those that are, uh, that are dealing with COVID. We pray for healing and provision for them. We also continue to lift up those on the front lines like our healthcare workers, our school teachers and administrators, and all those, Lord, that are, that are um, out there providing those essential jobs. And we thank you, Lord, for their willingness and their ability to serve in that way. We pray now that you be with us during our time here this morning. Help us to stay focused on your word. And, uh, and Lord, in all things, may we bring honor and glory to you. We pray these things in Christ's name, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well, now if you still have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 2, I'd love to invite Tracy forward for our scripture reading. Thank you. The scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, 
frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. See, it's always a funny feeling when you think you're doing the right thing and then everybody else is looking at you really confused. I'm wondering why everybody else isn't doing the same thing I'm doing. Um, I'm sure you've been there before. Uh, well, thank you, Tracy, and thank you, everybody. Let's, let's take time and pray. Let's pray this morning before, as we go into God's Word together. Lord God, we thank you for uh, this time. Thank you for your word, which is a light for our feet and a lamp for our path. Lord, we thank you that you are good and that you have provided for us in this way. So we ask now as we open your word together that you'd guide our thoughts, guide our hearts, Lord, so that our, our attention may be on you and on you alone. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we're continuing through our uh, Advent season here. Uh, we are on week two, as we've already heard of several times during the service this morning. And uh, we are going to be looking at the story of the wise men. I want to encourage you, uh, just before we get started here, to, uh, to continue reading through our Advent devotional. If you did not get a copy of these, uh, there are still extra copies uh, here at the church by the doors, as well as extra copies in the office. A lot of them have gone, and so I'm, I appreciate your, your willingness, and I've heard some responses from people that are reading along, and it's a, it's a great thing to be reading God's Word together as a church family through this time of year. So I want to encourage you to, to pick up your copy if you did not do that yet, and if you're listening on the radio or watching on Facebook and would like a copy, we'd be glad to mail one to you. Uh, our topic today is going to be coming from some of the readings here over the next couple days, so I want to encourage you to, to read along with us as we journey through Advent together. But before we hop into Scripture, I want to share a couple things with you this morning. These are just what I think are some, maybe some fun facts, maybe some fun misconceptions that we often have when we think about the Christmas season. And I, I, bring them, I always bring them up when I teach on this particular passage from Matthew 2. And as I was preparing this week, I looked back in my notes and I realized that I had not preached from this particular passage here at First Church. And, and in fact, the last time I, I had the chance to preach from this passage, it was when I was serving as a youth pastor in my old church. And as I was looking at those notes, I was looking over the, the fun facts that I had shared there. And it was a really interesting experience because when I got done with that service, uh, I was kind of hanging out in the sanctuary afterwards and this really sweet little old lady came up to me um, and and the, she made a beeline for me after the service, and I thought, okay, maybe she wants to make a comment or talk about something. And she she came right up to me and she said, "Don't ruin things for us, right? Don't 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 share facts like that. It ruins the image that we have in our heads." Um, and she was not all that thrilled with me. And obviously, I haven't learned my lesson because a few years later, I want to share a few of them with you this morning as well. They're not things that detract from Christmas, but I think they're things that help us understand the situation a little bit better. And, and it's just um, some things that maybe can help us uh, place this story in a, in a more historical context. So first of all, we always think of Jesus as being born in this this manger, right, living in this barn. And when we think of manger, I want you to think less barn, but more like a cave. Uh, most people think that today Jesus was actually born in maybe like a cave that was being used as a barn uh, and a, like that. So it's less, you know, this beautiful barn with, with the wooden structures, but more of maybe like a cave that Jesus was born in that night. We often think of, of Jesus being turned away at the inns, but we have to remember that in Bethlehem in that day, there was no holiday inns or best westerns, right? Most people that traveled stayed with family or friends and homes. And so when it says that Jesus and his family, excuse me, Mary and Joseph and their family was turned away, it was likely because there were so many people in town for the census that all the extra space had already been occupied. And that was why they were forced to go find a place elsewhere, likely in that, in that cave. Another interesting fact, Jesus was born in probably not the year zero as we often think of it, but likely in the year between 6 and 4 B.C. So if you think about it that way, Jesus was actually born in the year 4 before Christ. Uh, the people that put our calendars together in the Middle Ages uh, were a few years off in their calculations. And so actually from the evidence we have in Scripture as well as extra-biblical evidence, it's actually likely that Jesus was born in the, sometime in the years between 6 and 4 B.C. Here's a fun one, and this is more pertaining to our Scripture passage here today. 
We often think of three wise men being present at the manger when Jesus was born. But the text never actually says how many wise men there are. Right? We get three wise men from, uh, from the gifts that are given that day. Right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so we often associate the number three with the people as well. But the text actually doesn't say how many wise men there were. There could have been two, there could have been three, there could have been ten. There's really no indication. All we know is that it was wise men, plural, that came to give these gifts to Jesus. And the last one, I think that maybe this is the one that, uh, that upset that lady so much back a couple years ago. Uh, this week we set up our nativity scene at our house. Right? We have this... A really nice nativity scene. Actually, we haven't gotten it out the last couple of years because Miles being a baby and a toddler, we were a little worried that he might take the breakable figurines and smash them on the ground. And so this year, he's a little bit older and we decided it was time to get it out again. And so uh, last week, we, we got out all the pieces and set them up. And it was a, it's a really nice set with uh, Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. We got the shepherds and the animals and the wise men all together there for that one uh, snapshot of a scene. But likely, what was likely the case is that the wise men probably weren't there the night that Jesus was born. And we'll talk about this a little bit more. You know, when the shepherds, the shepherds were most likely there the day that Jesus was born, right? The angels came to them in the field and announced Jesus' birth, and they were close by and able to go and see what the angels had told them. But it may have taken the wise men up to two years to actually arrive in Bethlehem to see what... Um, to see Mary and Jesus. It says the star first appeared the night he was born, and the wise men likely traveled from the east and far away from the east, maybe modern-day Iraq or Iran. And so there's no way they could have made it there for the group photo. right? In fact, when Herod asked them when the star first appeared and the timing of their journey, he concludes that the new king must, could be up to two years old already. And so I just think it's interesting to kind of take what we traditionally associate with Christmas and kind of look at it and compare it to what we see in Scripture and what we know from the historical context. And if you didn't like that lesson, um, I'll be down here after the service. You can make a beeline for me just like that little old lady did in Huntington a couple years ago. Um, but I just always think it's, it's fun to, to think about things in a different way and look at them from, from a different perspective. But today what I want to do is take a look at the actual story of the wise men in Scripture and what, what it teaches us about how people respond to Christmas, how they respond to the good news of Jesus. And what we see in this story are three very different responses. And I want to talk about two of them just kind of briefly, but the third one is the one I want to focus on. And so the three responses that we see here in this passage from Matthew 2 are indifference, hostility, and worship. And so first I want to take a look at indifference. And this is from the chief priests and the scribes in Herod's court. And so in, in Matthew 2, we get this, this scene of the wise men traveling to Jerusalem to see this new king who has been born. And so they arrive in Herod's court and ask about this new king, and nobody has a clue what they're talking about. Herod calls his, the, the scribes and the teachers of the law and the priests together and asks them where the Messiah is supposed to be born. And they're able to tell him, according to the prophet Micah, that Bethlehem and the land of Judah is where the Messiah is to be born. That is according to Scripture, according to, to prophecy. But then the scribes and the chief priests just go about their business. They kind of disappear from the scene. Now think about that, though. If you were a teacher of the law, if you were a priest, if your job was to know and study the Scriptures, wouldn't you think that news of a Messiah being born would be something you'd want to investigate and check out? Isn't that something that you'd want to pursue for yourself and see if the rumors were true? But the, that's not what they do. They tell Herod what, what the prophecy says, and then they go about their business and basically disappear from the story. They're the ones that should have been the most excited about it, and yet we get nothing from them. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people in our world today that are indifferent towards the good news of Jesus Christ. These people aren't unfamiliar with the gospel. Some may even attend church regularly, but the gospel has no impact on their lives. Right? Take away Jesus from them and their lives don't look much different. That's sad, isn't it? 
It's sad to, to know that there are people who have heard the good news of the gospel over and over and over again, yet it has made no impact whatsoever on their lives. Right? They're so familiar maybe with the story of Jesus that it seems like old hat. And I find it very difficult for someone who has truly heard the gospel, that has truly allowed it to, change, to, to impact them, that they could walk away unchanged. Where are you in this area? Are you indifferent towards the gospel? Right? Don't just keep going through the motions. Right? Don't take the path of least resistance. Change your fate this Christmas season by journeying to the manger and ultimately to the cross to worship the King. You know, don't just shrug it off. Don't just ignore Jesus and move on again this year. And so one response is, is indifference toward the good news of Jesus. The second response is hostility. And we see this in King Herod. The news of this new king was a threat to the old king. Right? That makes sense. He was, King Herod had taken on the title King of the Jews. Right? And so when, when he hears news of a new king being born, it's an immediate threat to his power and a threat to the status quo. And so what we see is, is Herod makes it seem like he's interested in going to worship the Messiah. That's what he tells the wise men. But really, he has a different plan for them. If you were to go on reading in Matthew 2 through the rest of the chapter, we see that Jesus and his family are forced to escape to Egypt and live there for several years because King Herod has decided to kill every male child that was born uh, in the last two years. Again, that's part of that timing there is, is Herod puts two and two together, right? He, he talks to the wise men, figures out when the star first appeared in the sky and decides that every male child under two years old must be gotten rid of in order to hold on to his power. He was being threatened by this new king who was born. See, the gospel is often met with opposition from people who want to maintain the status quo, people who feel threatened by Jesus. The gospel demands that we make Jesus both our Lord and Savior, and for some people that's too high a price to pay. But rather than ignore him like those who are indifferent, some people respond with hostility. It's not enough to just keep God at arm's length. They want to push him away and push away those who represent him in this world. All right, we see this in our culture today. I'm not talking about the, the so-called war on Christmas, right? That's not what I'm talking about here. It doesn't matter to me whether the cashier at Walmart or Kroger wishes me Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays, right? It's not their job to spread the gospel. It's our job as Christians to point people to Jesus, not theirs. But there is a broader trend in our society as a whole away from Christianity and toward uh, what's called secular humanism or atheism, all right, that's a, a different conversation for a different time, but I want you to know this today. Don't expect it to be easy to follow Christ in a sinful and broken world. It never has been and never will be. Right? Jesus told his disciples to expect as much. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Right? The promise isn't that life will be easy. The promise of the gospel isn't that we will never face opposition. The promise is that we need not fear because Jesus has already overcome. Right? That's the promise. That's the peace that we can experience because of Jesus. In Matthew 16:18, Jesus says that he has established his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right? That's the hope of the gospel. It's not that we will be, life will be problem-free and everything will be easy, but it's that in the face of whatever circumstances we face, good, bad, and otherwise, Jesus is still king, that he has come in order to die for our sins and to redeem us for himself. Right, that, and so there's, we, that brings us back to our topic for today, right? peace. That's, that's what our theme is for Advent Week 2. The peace that Jesus gives is not the absence of conflict. It's peace in spite of it. All right, let me say that again. The peace that God gives us through Christ is peace in the midst of whatever circumstances that we face. We'll talk about more, excuse me, we'll talk more about the substance of that peace in a few minutes. But for now, I want you to know this. We first and foremost 
have peace with God through Jesus Christ. That's the peace that we can experience because of Christmas. You and I have been saved and redeemed by His blood and therefore are no longer condemned. We're forgiven, right? Praise God for that. So the question then is, how can we experience this kind of peace? How, do we, how can we know for sure that we have received that peace from God and can experience it, experience it day in and day out? Well, we need to follow the example of the Magi. We need to follow the example of these wise men in this story. We experience God's peace when, in spite of our circumstances, in spite of whatever else is going on in my life, I make the intentional effort to seek Jesus and to bow down at His feet in worship. We experience God's peace when when we take our eyes off of us, when we take our eyes off of this world and whatever problems that we're facing and focus our attention on Him. And that then is the third response that we see here in this passage. We see the indifference of the chief priests and scribes. We see the hostility of King Herod. But in the wise men, we see worship. They come to seek baby Jesus. They come to find this Messiah who was, who was to be born in order to worship Him. And when they do find Him, they bring three gifts. And the gifts tell us something about who Jesus is. They give us an insight into His character. These aren't just three random presents that they found lying around. They each tell us something about who this child is. The first gift was gold. Now, this may seem like an obvious gift, right? Who doesn't like to receive gold for a present? But gold was a present fit for a king. It was, a very, it was and obviously still is today a very valuable and precious metal. And it, and it signified royalty. So gold indicated that Jesus was a king. The second gift was frankincense, and that was a gift fit for a god. Frankincense was a common ingredient in incense, and incense was often used as part of, of worship services or sacrifices or temple practices. In fact, frankincense is specifically listed in Exodus 30:34 as one of the components of the special incense that was used in the worship of the tabernacle. So frankincense has its connections all the way back into Exodus when God told his people, how they were supposed to worship him. He talked about using frankincense as part of that worship. And now here, thousands of years later, right, we have this Christ child born and one of the first gifts he receives is frankincense. This child was and is the very Son of God who deserves our worship. He's no ordinary human king. And the third gift then is myrrh. It's a gift that pointed to death. Myrrh, like frankincense, was a resin harvested from a tree and was often used in perfumes. And specifically used in perfumes that were used to prepare bodies for burial. In John chapter 19, after Jesus was crucified, two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, came to to take Jesus' body down from the cross and prepare it for burial. And when they did so, they brought a mixture of myrrh and aloe to prepare his body for that process. Three gifts that describe the person and the purpose of Jesus Christ. He's the king who God raised up to rule on David's throne forever. He is God in the flesh, the very son of God who came to dwell with his people. And his purpose was clear from the very beginning. He came to die in order to set us free from our sin. The joy of Christmas ultimately leads to the pain of the cross. But the cross also, also ultimately leads to the joy of the empty tomb and the resurrection. And so they bring these gifts, and, and these gifts point to who Jesus truly is. But in doing so, they came to worship the King. They didn't just come to, to, to give presents to a newborn, right? They came as an act of worship. And there's, there's many ways we can worship. There's too much time for us or too much to talk about for the time that we have to describe all the ways that we can worship. But I want to focus on a few of them here today. One is that we can worship with our words. Right? So often that's what we do here on Sunday mornings, isn't it? We worship God through prayer, through, through singing His praise, right? and through giving thanks. Right? Those are all ways that we can worship God through our words. Right? And there's something 
There's something important about doing that, right? Instead of just keeping it to yourself, gathering with other believers and speaking your worship out loud. There's just something powerful about that when we gather together. And so in one way, we can worship God through our, through our words, how we, how we praise Him, and also how we read about Him in His Word, right? In Scripture, that's a part of our worship as well. But if we leave our worship as just words, we're still missing something. We can come here and, and sing praises all morning long, but if our, our worship is not also accompanied with action, we're missing the point. Notice when the wise men came to Jesus, they came and they bowed down before Him. Right? The, word, the common word for worship in the New Testament is actually the word to prostrate oneself, right? to, to bow down in front of something. That physical act of, of worship was an act of submission. It was recognizing that Jesus Himself is Lord of our lives. And again, we come back to that point again. That this, this Christ child is not just not just our Savior, but also our Lord, which means He rescues us from our sins, but He also calls us to submit to Him in everything we do. And so worship is about making Him first in our lives and, and, and making sure He's our number one priority in everything we do. We also see the wise men worshiping through their gifts. We've obviously already talked about them in detail, but, but generally speaking, you know, we can worship God by giving back to Him. We give back to God not because He needs it, but because He deserves it. And when we think about giving gifts, I, I'm talking about more than just our finances, although that's part of it. Right? Sometimes the easy thing to do is to give back to God by dropping some money in the offering plate as it's going by, especially if we're able to give out of our surplus, especially right, if God has blessed us to, with the financial freedom to give in that way. Right? That's a good and wonderful thing, but sometimes that's the easy thing to do. It's often harder to worship God through our actions by giving our time and our talent as well, right? God has, God has given us a finite amount of time and He wants us to use, use that for His good and for His glory, right? God has given us certain gifts and abilities and part of worship is giving back to God by using those gifts and talents and abilities for His good and for His glory, so giving is about more than just our finances. It's also our time and our talent as well. I mean, at Christmas, we focus a lot on giving, right? Giving and receiving gifts. So I want to ask you today, what can you give back to God? Right? What does God want you to give Him? Maybe that's the more important question. That's the harder question to answer. And don't hold back. Earnestly and honestly seek God and ask Him what it is you, he wants you to give at this time and give it to God as an act of worship. And so we worship God with our words. We worship God with our actions. And finally, we worship God with our life. Worship is more than just what happens here on Sunday mornings. It's more than what you put in the offering plate. Corporate worship is important, but it's only one piece of a larger puzzle. Worship must include also what we do on Monday through Saturday as well as on Sunday mornings. And so worship involves our attitudes as well as our actions and our words. You know, Jesus calls us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And we can't do that if, if our worship is contained to just one hour a week. So to live a life of worship is to live in such a way that when people see you, they're seeing Christ shining through you. Living a life that points people to Jesus. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What does Paul say true and proper worship is? It's offering our entire selves, our whole selves, as an act of worship, as living sacrifices to God. Somebody once told me the problem with living sacrifices is they have a tendency to crawl off the altar, right? That's our problem too. God desires our whole selves, but we have a tendency to crawl off the altar. We have a tendency to, to want to do things our way or spend time the way we want to spend it instead of asking God and making what, how He wants us to spend that and making Him our number one priority. 
Remember the story of Abraham and Isaac, right? All the way back in Genesis 22, the story of the near sacrifice of Isaac. We often give Abraham so much credit in that story for his faith. And it's true. You know, he, he, he trusted God beyond a shadow of a doubt, even when it seemed impossible. But let's give Isaac some credit here too. Right? Abraham was an old man, over 100 years old by the time of the story, and Isaac was likely a teenager. He was at least old enough to carry a bushel of wood up a mountain with him for the sacrifice. And when they got up to the top of the mountain and there was no lamb, it says that Abraham bound Isaac and laid him on the altar. Now, do you think a teenage boy who just was able to carry a load of wood up a mountain could take a 100-year-old man? Probably, right? Isaac willingly laid himself down on the altar. Isaac could have run away. He could have escaped, but he willingly laid himself down there, allowed himself to be bound. Now, thankfully, in that story, God did provide a sacrifice. He did provide a lamb instead. But I love that picture of what it means to be a living sacrifice, being willing to lay down your life willingly on the altar and ask God to use you in that way. So I want to encourage you to respond this Christmas season with worship, not hostility, not indifference, but with worship. Because this child who was born is a savior for all people, right? He's a, he's a Messiah for the Magi. The Magi were Gentiles. They represented people outside of Israel. Jesus didn't just come for Israel. He came to save the whole world. We haven't spent much time talking about it, but it's important to note that the first people in Matthew's Gospel to worship Jesus, the first people to bow down and worship Him as King of Kings and as the Son of God were foreigners. Right? It's not Herod, the so-called King of the Jews. It's not the scribes and teachers of the law who should have been racing to be the first ones. Jesus was born in the heart of Israel just a few miles from Jerusalem in the temple, but His birth went mostly unnoticed. Instead, Jesus has brought extraordinary gifts from people who traveled a great distance for that very purpose. Matthew's gospel begins and ends with God's plan to save people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. Foreign kings come to worship Jesus even when his own people are indifferent and even hostile. But at the end of Matthew's gospel, we have the risen Christ commissioning his disciples to go into every nation to make disciples. See, God is up to something big. His church is a big church. It's bigger than First Church of New Knoxville. It's bigger than any one denomination, country, skin color, or social status. I love the picture of Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. That paints a picture of the scope of God's kingdom. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. People from all over the world, every skin color, every nationality, every socioeconomic or political status, all gathered as one to worship, all recognizing that salvation comes only from God and through the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus came to bring peace between us and God. Jesus' death and resurrection secures our peace with God and our place in God's family when we're born again. But it also makes peace between people. Right? Our vertical relationship with God is, is redeemed and made right, but our horizontal relationship with each other can also be made right through Christ. Because in Christ, the two people, Jew and Gentile, right, are brought together as one. I encourage you to read Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. It talks about how Christ is our peace and that he has, he has torn down the wall that divides us. And because of his death and his resurrection, it levels the playing field and brings us together as one. And in Galatians 3, we see, of course, that there is no more, there's, there's no Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or free, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. And so this Christmas season, take time to allow God's peace to transform your relationships. Right? First, we need to be reconciled to God. Right? Respond with worship like the Magi did. Experience that peace for yourself. Second, fulfill the Great Commission by sharing Christ with someone. Who has God placed in your life that needs to hear the good news of the gospel? 
This Christmas season is a great opportunity to tell people about Jesus, right? The story's everywhere. It's a perfect chance to point people to the good news of the gospel. And third, it's a great time to make peace with other people, right? Is there someone in your life that you're holding a grudge against? Is there someone that you refuse to forgive? Christmas teaches us that God has gone to amazing lengths to forgive you. Jesus humbled himself by becoming like one of us, by taking on the very form of a servant, becoming obedient even to the point of death. All of this to forgive us when we didn't deserve it. And he calls us to forgive others in the same way. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have made us new in Christ. That you are the Son of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Help us to respond appropriately this morning. Respond with worship of our, with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And help us to truly love others as ourselves. In that way, we will experience your peace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we close our service of worship today, I invite you to stand with us and sing our closing song. It's number 166 in your hymnals, We Three Kings.
King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You may go in peace.